welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The Virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. Isaiah chapter 7 verses 14 and 16, New International Version. Hello. I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're so happy you're able to join us here today on Anchored by Truth. For our most recent several episodes, we have been working on a series we call Eternal Information. We've covered a lot of ground so far in the series. For those listening today who may have missed some of the earlier episodes, we encourage you to go to our website, crystalseabooks.com, where you can hear them. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. This series in particular has been one of those series where each episode builds on the material from previous episodes. In the studio today, we have R.D. Fierro. R.D. is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books. R.D., we're pretty deep into our discussion of information. Maybe it would help provide some context to today's discussion if you would start us off by briefly going over some of the big ideas we've been discussing. Well, before I get into those big ideas, I'd also like to say hello and greetings to everyone who's joining us here today. We're so happy that you're able to be with us, and we hope that these programs are helpful with strengthening your Christian faith, giving you the assurance that you can apply your mind to your Christian faith as well as your heart. Well, the biggest idea that we've been trying to convey in this series is that you cannot look at the universe around us and fail to see that it not only contains the material elements that make up the universe, like matter and energy, but that the universe also contains non-material components, like our human will, our volition, and information. And it would be quite literally impossible for our universe to contain such non-material components without there being a non-material source that possessed both power and intelligence. One of the first ideas we've covered in this series is that information cannot be created, destroyed, or affected by matter or energy. Matter or energy can be used to store, transmit, and receive information, but the information itself remains unaffected by the matter and energy. A recipe for pound cake doesn't change whether it's written on a note card, stored in a computer hard drive, or retained in someone's memory. And the presence of information always requires the presence of intelligence. Or, said differently, the presence of information within the visible universe demonstrates that there must be a source of power and intelligence that made it possible. And, when you refer to a non-material source that possesses both power and intelligence, you're referring to God. Yes. Our universe could not appear as it does without information and therefore intelligence being present. 
but intelligence without creative power would never produce anything. It certainly wouldn't produce the visible universe, and it certainly would not produce the information that we have that is displayed throughout the universe. So one big idea that we've been discussing is that the existence of information within our universe points directly to the existence of God. Or, as Dr. Werner Gitt put it so aptly when he wrote his book and in the title, what he said was, in the beginning was information. Now, this point couldn't have the universe we see without the presence of information being available, not just within the universe generally, but specifically within biological structures. Even the Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary points out that the nucleotide sequence of DNA contains information. The dictionary provides this definition for information. Information is the attribute inherent in and communicated by one of two or more alternate sequences or arrangements of something, such as nucleotides in DNA or binary digits in a computer program, that produce specific effects. Yes. One way of thinking about information's role in living creatures is to note that physics and chemistry by themselves will not produce biology. Biological structures are the result of the chemical elements being organized and directed in very specific patterns, such as the nucleotide sequence within DNA. In other words, physics plus chemistry does not equal biology. Physics plus chemistry plus information equals biology. And in our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we noted that if the existence of natural information indicates what we might call natural intelligence, then the existence of supernatural information would necessarily indicate the presence of supernatural intelligence. Exactly right. And in our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we began demonstrating that the Bible gives evidence of being the result of a superintending supernatural intelligence. Last time we began demonstrating that the Bible stores and transmits information on multiple levels. Now, this attribute of the Bible would be very difficult to explain if the Bible were solely the result of human input and intelligence. And in that episode, we pointed out that one level of information that the Bible contains is the same kind of information you might get from reading any book. In essence, it's the information you get from reading a book, left or right, from front to back. The Bible contains a ton of information on human and natural history, interpersonal relationships, managing money, building successful families, overcoming addiction, and many other subjects. If there's a subject that affects the lives of people and communities, the Bible most likely has something to say about it. Yes. So one level of information that we easily see within the Bible is what we might call pragmatic information. Pragmatic information is information about the ordinary affairs that concern people, such as history, or advice about money and families, or proverbs to help people avoid trouble and live better lives. Pragmatic information is important not only because of the content of the pragmatic information, but also because the presence of this pragmatic information gives us an opportunity to test the validity, the reliability, the trustworthiness of the Bible. Can you give us an example of what you're thinking about? Sure. 
One form of this pragmatic information is the historical information the Bible provides. Now, we can test this historical information to see whether or not it's reliable. And we've given tons of examples on various Anchored by Truth episodes to show that the Bible's historical information is reliable. Examples like the fact that the book of Jonah maintained a record of the existence of the Assyrian capital Nineveh while secular history lost sight of the city of Nineveh for over 2,000 years. In 1849, the British diplomat and explorer Austin Henry Layard rediscovered the lost palace of Sennacherib with its 71 rooms and phenomenal structures and reliefs. Now, Layard, when he unearthed this lost palace, He also discovered the famous library of Ashurbanipal, which had over 22,000 cuneiform clay tablets. But before Layard's discovery, again in the middle of the 19th century, many historians thought that Jonah's account of the city of Nineveh was just a legend because they had no knowledge of the city, it had been lost beneath the sands of time, And the descriptions of Nineveh in the book of Jonah came from the same book that talked about Jonah being in the belly of the fish for three days. And another remarkable confirmation of the Bible's historical reliability are archaeological findings at the city of Jericho. Extensive excavations have been carried out at the site of the ancient city of Jericho. And while some of the archaeologists who worked at the site didn't believe their findings supported the biblical account, careful analysis by others, such as Dr. Bryant Wood, have come to a different conclusion. For instance, Dr. Wood says that, quote, the city's freestanding inner and outer mudbrick walls collapsed outward, fell down the slope, and piled up at the base of the mound, falling beneath themselves, as the Hebrew of Joshua 6, 5 indicates. This allowed the invading Israelites to go straight ahead, up, and into the city in the manner described in Joshua 6, 20. And Dr. Wood also concluded that, quote now, after the walls fell, the city was set on fire, that was described in Joshua 6.24, and a one meter thick layer of ash and debris, including jars of burnt wheat, has been found in many sections of the city. The jars full of charred grain support the Bible's claims that the attack took place after the harvest, that's Joshua 3.15, and that the siege was short, only seven days, and that the Israelites did not plunder the city except for the precious metals that were put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. That's Joshua 6.24. And one of the most remarkable findings of archaeology was that in at least one area, the mud brick wall of the city had not collapsed, and that was consistent with the harlot Rahab's house being spared, even though it was attached to the city wall because some of the houses in the lower portion of the city were built into the lower city wall, and that's exactly how Rahab's house was described in Joshua 2.15. And as we've pointed out in numerous episodes of Anchored by Truth, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of examples of times the Bible's historical trustworthiness has been validated by archaeological finds. So, historical information is one aspect of the pragmatic information the Bible contains. And when tested, the historical information is found to be reliable. The same thing is true of the Bible's advice for everyday situations like money management or family relationships. Last time we noted the Bible's recommendation that we should diversify our investments into seven or eight portions because the future is uncertain. 
This tracks very closely to investment advice that is still given to never allocate more than 10% or so of a portfolio into a single asset class. Diversification is one of the foundational principles that is still honored today. Moreover, the appropriateness of the Bible's recommendations regarding marital and family relations has been validated by countless sociological studies to produce happy and more successful families and children. Yes, and people who don't follow the Bible's advice on remaining faithful in their marriage or avoiding gluttony or drunkenness, far more often than not, they wish that they had listened to the Bible. The Bible's pragmatic information is time-tested and validated. But of course, the Bible doesn't just contain pragmatic information. It also contains prophetic information. And in our last episode of Anchored by Truth, we mentioned two examples of the Bible's extraordinary prophetic accuracy. We talked about the precise fulfillment of the Bible's prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 25 verses 10 and 11 and Isaiah chapter 45 verses 1 and 2. These prophecies concerned the fact that the nation of Judah would be conquered by the Babylonians and the Jews would spend 70 years in exile. Then their exile would end when a Persian king, that the Bible names specifically, would allow the exiled Hebrews to return to Judah and Jerusalem. These prophecies were fulfilled exactly even though they were given decades before fulfillment. Right. But it is important to note that the Bible's prophetic information isn't just confined to the destinies of nations and empires. Biblical prophets also gave prophecies about specific individuals, and those prophecies were very often fulfilled in relatively quick time, such as when the prophet Samuel foretold that the first king of Israel would be Saul. Samuel gave Saul a series of prophecies that were precisely fulfilled within a day of Samuel giving them to Saul. And this ensured that Saul could be assured that Samuel had been sent by God to anoint him as the king. You know, a lot of times when we think about biblical prophecy, we think about the so-called big prophecies, such as those concerning Jesus, or the future of Israel, or a worldwide flood. But all of the prophets in the Bible also had to give short-term prophecies as well as the long-term ones. Because if they hadn't given the short-term prophecies, the Hebrews would have had no way of testing those prophets to see whether or not the prophet was a genuine prophet of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 21 and 22, Moses gave the people the test for determining whether someone who claimed to be a prophet had actually been sent by God. God had told Moses to tell the people, quote, You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed, unquote. In other words, a biblical prophet had to be 100% accurate. So even though scripture does not report all of the prophecies that each prophet made, We can be confident that the prophets were providing enough prophecies for shorter-term events that allowed the people to validate their status. So, the ability to give accurate prophecies 100% of the time is what distinguishes authentic biblical prophets from the many imposters that have come along through the ages. People such as Edward Casey and Gene Dixon, they've claimed to be prophets, but they've had many well-known prophetic failures. For instance, Gene Dixon predicted that the Russians would be the first to land a man on the moon. They weren't. 
Dixon predicted that Richard Nixon would not resign from the presidency of the United States. He did. And she predicted that the Panama Canal treaties would not be approved or ratified. Well, all of those prophecies were obviously failures too. And Edward Casey predicted that the second coming of Christ would occur in 1998. Well, obviously that didn't happen either. During the 1930s, Casey also incorrectly predicted that North America would experience existential chaos. He said, Los Angeles, San Francisco will be among those that will be destroyed before New York. Come to think of it, if you look at what's going on in the country right now, you might start to think he was right about some of that. And that's an important point. False prophets may be right on some occasions, but the standard for being a biblical prophet is you have to be right 100% of the time, and no prophets outside of the Bible have that kind of a record. But we are primarily concerned with the nature of the information that the Bible contains and how that information demonstrates the supernatural character of the Bible. So, let's take a look at our opening scripture for a second. The scripture we heard in our opening comes from Isaiah, and it's certainly one of the most famous prophecies in the Bible because it's the prophecy about the coming Messiah being born of a virgin. But what I want to point out right now is that this prophecy, like a great many in the Bible, had two levels of prophetic information within the prophecy. There was an immediate application of the prophecy, and there was a much longer application of the prophecy. What do you mean? Well, this prophecy was given by the prophet Isaiah to a Hebrew king named Ahaz. And at the time that Isaiah gave this prophecy to Ahaz, Judah, the nation that Ahaz was the king of, had been invaded by a confederation of two foreign powers and kings. And the kings that were invading Judah were from the nations of Israel and Aram. Now, Aram is essentially Syria. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 1 says, quote, When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem. We should tell everyone that event occurred about 733 BC, a little over 700 years before Jesus was born. At this point in Israel's history, the kingdom that had been unified under King David and King Solomon had been split into a northern kingdom that was called Israel and a southern kingdom that was called Judah. Ahaz was the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. There had been a civil war between Judah and Israel pretty much ever since the split of the kingdom under Solomon's son. For most of the period of the split kingdom, the northern kingdom was the most powerful of the two. So, at the time of this invasion, the threat that Judah might be conquered by a confederation of Israel and Syria was real. Ahaz knew that, and he was scared. So God sent the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz to essentially tell him, quote, Don't worry about those two kings, I'll handle them, and to prove I'll take care of them, ask me for a sign, and I'll provide it, unquote. Isaiah was trying to provide God's reassurance to Ahaz, but Ahaz was a wicked king, so he rejected Isaiah's offer. Ahaz essentially said, no, no, I'm too pious to ask God for a sign. But God knew Ahaz's heart, so he told Isaiah to say to Ahaz, that's fine, I'll give you a sign anyway, and it will be a sign of my own choosing. So God told Ahaz that as a sign that the invading kings would not succeed in their ambitions, God had Isaiah give Ahaz the prophecy that we heard in our opening scripture. And as I said, the prophecy operated on two levels. 
Now, in the short-term operation of the prophecy, Isaiah's prophecy simply meant that a young woman who was alive at that time would get pregnant, give birth, and raise a child for two or three years before the danger would disappear. In other words, Isaiah was telling Ahaz, within a few years, these two kings that are invading our country are going to disappear from being a problem for us. And that's what happened. Well, in fact, not only did those two kings disappear from being a problem from Judah, within just a matter of decades, neither Israel nor Syria would ever pose a serious danger to Judah again because they were totally conquered by the Assyrians. And on a longer-term basis, the prophecy referred to the ultimate deliverer for not only Judah, but also the whole world. In his gospel, Matthew cited this prophecy as being fulfilled in the virgin birth of Christ Jesus. Now again, we want to emphasize that that was more than 700 years before Isaiah giving his prophecy and Jesus being born. So, while the short-term application of the prophecy was fulfilled within a few years, the longer-term fulfillment was a matter of centuries. Only an eternal God could have given that information to Isaiah. Yes, and that's the really important point for today. For those of us who accept the supernatural inspiration of the Bible, Isaiah being able to give a precise prophecy to his king, to Ahaz, that had two different applications, not really a big deal. We accept the fact that God knows everything, God's omniscient, and therefore God can reveal anything to anyone anytime he chooses. But for someone who wants to deny the divine inspiration of the Bible, well, they've got to come up with an alternative explanation for how a man in the 8th century BC could have known something not just a couple of years earlier than the event would happen, but hundreds of years earlier. What you're saying is that the prophetic information within the Bible goes well beyond human abilities. Human beings might be able to supply pragmatic information like advice on managing money or raising kids. Human beings can even make accurate records of historical events though we have no other records besides the Bible that made such records accurately over a period of 1,500 years. But at least theoretically, a reliable historical record, even one prepared over centuries, is within the power of humans to make. But no human being has the power to make precise prophecies of the type we see in the Bible. We don't know what level the stock market will be at weeks from now, or much less decades from now. We don't know the outcome of elections that are sometimes just days away, And even those cases where claims are being made that a human prophet did get some things right, we never see detailed prophecies that are fulfilled precisely. But we see that in the Bible. Right. Again, the kind of information that we see in the Bible cannot be explained by natural means. It's supernatural. And supernatural information must have a supernatural intelligence behind it. And that's the kind of intelligence that only God possesses. This sounds like a good time to go to God in prayer. Today, let's say a prayer for our nation, especially that God will bring a spirit of renewal and revival to a culture that is desperately in need of the truth of Christ. A Prayer for the Nation Almighty and Sovereign Father, you are the one true and perfect ruler of all that is and all that ever will be. The stars move at your command 
and the cosmos stretches out by the works of your hands. If the heavens themselves and all they contain are ruled by you, then how much more are the nations of men subject to your eternal reign? Lord, we come to you today to pray for our nation, the United States of America. In our Pledge of Allegiance, we pledge that this is one nation under God. May it truly be so. May our people recognize that we owe our existence to you and that you are the rightful master of this nation and indeed all creation. Nations rise and fall at your command for you ordain and govern all the affairs of this world. We pray, Lord, that this nation might find favor in your sight as we turn and look to you. We know that there is much about our nation and people today that does not please you and does not conform to your will. Forgive us for this, mighty Lord. In too many ways, we have wandered from the truths upon which we were founded. We repent of our wanderings and especially the part we have played in them. We have too often lost sight that we will all be held accountable to you and this has led to foolish pride and unwise presumption. Bring us to a renewed sense of your holiness and justice and help us to rebuke our failings. Help us to humble ourselves so that we may begin again to walk straight paths as we depend on you. Lord, there are many other nations and groups in this world that would seek our harm and even our devastation. Even now, many conspire against us. We pray that you would not allow them to succeed. Do not let our stumbles become an occasion for their joy. We pray that you would confound them in their efforts to cause us harm and injury. We do not ask this on the basis of our goodness, but on the basis of your mercy. Do not let them become proud by granting them a victory as we struggle for restoration. Lord, give wisdom and instruction to our leaders at all levels, both civilian and military. Turn their hearts to you and bring them into direct contact with your transforming character. Remind them that they are your stewards and that all their authority comes only from you. Let the name of your Son be lifted up in our hearts as we rejoice in the restoration and salvation he brought. We glory and hope in his name, and it is in his name we pray. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalseabooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S, 
Com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away? Or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea Books, our passion is the Bible. The Bible came from the mind of God. The words of God are powerful in truth and love. God will give us peace and strength as we honor His Word. At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer purposeful prayers and the anthology of purposeful prayers. Many people know that prayer is an essential component to a powerful Christian faith, but they feel uncertain when they begin a prayer commitment. Let R.D. Fierro's purposeful prayers come alongside you to help you prepare to go before the throne of grace and find the peace and power that comes from learning to pray purposefully. And getting a copy of Purposeful Prayers couldn't be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, books, B-O-O-K-S, dot com. In Purposeful Prayers and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in a devotional study of prayer and in prayers specifically designed to build faith as you focus on interceding with your family, friends, and nation. Get your own copy of Purposeful Prayers today. At Crystal Sea Books, we're not perfect, but our boss is.